All right, welcome back to the Tank Me Later podcast, which is part of Fantasy Basketball International and brought to you by Fantrax. Uh, This is episode 40. Uh, We're going to talk about a few different things, uh, namely the in-season tournament, and talk about whether some players' numbers are real or if they are fake. So let's get into it. Right. As I said, a few different things to talk about. Nothing, any ground-shaking topics, but uh, I think I've said this in previous episodes, just trying to get through the new year, through the holidays, and then we will dive into some more exciting things. Um, got a good bit planned, mostly in my mind, and hopefully going to start reaching out to some people about having some fun guests uh, and having some fun topics. But right now, it's kind of, like I said, scrambling to get through the holidays, uh, coming up with what I can come up with, um, what's notable, and should still be good information and notable for both Dynasty and Redraft Leagues. Uh, for this one, the first thing to talk about is the in-season tournament. It is Friday uh, when I'm recording this, which means that last night the Lakers decimated the Pelicans and the Pacers came away with a win against the Bucks. Um, and so those the Lakers and Pacers will be facing off on Saturday in a game that won't count for fantasy basketball because it'll be both teams' 83rd game for their season. Um, so it won't impact fantasy hoops. It'll just be a championship game with no fantasy implications. Um, should be a lot of fun to watch. Both teams are playing really well. The Lakers look phenomenal, and obviously the Pacers are still one of the best offenses in the league, if not the best offense, with a player that's playing out of his mind right now in Tyrese Halliburton. Um, it's exciting to see a young player that is – been really good for fantasy uh, recently in like the last couple of years, especially last year had a lot of hype going into the season um, and was one of the best players. The team wasn't as successful. So maybe in the regular or real uh, basketball landscape, wasn't quite thought of as highly um, plus the shutdown impacted that, but uh, it's fun to see them playing well. Um, great, like good team, a lot of fun, young players, and Tyrese Halliburton as well, obviously, quite the uh, the superstar rising right in front of our eyes. A uh, lot of fun. Pacers fans, always great, I think. Not that I've dissected this and looked through and, and come to this conclusion, but I feel like Pacers fans are some of the most educated that I see on Twitter or just the people that I see on Twitter that are educated tend to be Pacers fans. So fun to see that. Uh, fans deserve it. Um, but yeah, as far as the in-season tournament, we can look at what happened this year, and I'm sure they'll make changes uh, heading into next year when they do it again. Obviously, it was the first year doing it, so they're going to learn a lot and should be even better next year. There wasn't many things bad about it. Um, I think at the beginning, it was kind of weird. A lot of people were like, what's the point? Are people going to care? Um, why should I care? But I think the players care, one, because they're competitive athletes. They, Their competitiveness, generally speaking, is what allowed them to play professional basketball um, at the highest level. So they care about the games regardless as long as they're playing. Um, 
and I don't think that there's too many guys. There probably are some, but there's not too many guys in the NBA that don't care about winning when they're on the floor. Like for one reason or another, whether they want to win games or just a sense of pride of wanting to be seen as a professional athlete and somebody that was deserving to get there, whatever the reason is, people care. So wasn't going to be an issue about them caring about the games, but it seems like they have even more of a competitive edge. Maybe there's a few players that don't like the end season tournament because of the point differential thing. I mean, DeMar DeRozan seemed to be pretty against that. Uh, Will Hardy, jazz coach, seemed to be pretty against the point differential thing. But I think when it comes down to it, it's not really an issue. I think it's not running up the score if it's for this. Like everybody kind of knows that. So things like that, sure, I guess it's not flawless because it is change and change from regular games isn't something that always goes over smoothly. Um, even if it is something that ends up helping in the long run. Cause I mean, we're, I think about a quarter of the way through the regular season and we've played a lot of competitive games already. And now the next two months or so we'll be focusing on what's going to happen up until the trade deadline and the all-star game getting all-star votes. So a lot of, just bringing more value to earlier games. Cause I feel like a lot of times those kind of get lost. People don't care about them as much um, because it's from opening night until all-star break. It's about three months and sometimes that ends up being a long time. So having that um, to kind of even divide up the season even further. So now it's kind of like the quarter way through, okay, where are we looking at? What teams are playing well? Um, does playing well in the in-season tournament give us a little bit more of a confidence boost us for where we're at? Because the Pacers um, are not one of the, like the best record in the East. They're fifth, uh, sitting at twelve and eight now because they won the last two games of the in-season tournament. Um, they're a team that's like, okay, cool. Like we just did this thing. Like why can't we go win a championship? So I think that's kind of cool to see them get that kind of. I don't know, evaluation midway through for a team that wasn't even in the playoffs last year. So jumping out of the gates, you're able to get a good evaluation for your team. Also, it was just a lot of fun watching the games on the neutral court. I think one thing that was pretty clear that will be adjusted for next year is the early start time. Um, Thursday's two games, one started at 5 p.m. Eastern time and one started at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So very strange um, because local time that's 2 p.m and 6 p.m so like i get it you like that's where people are sure it's like monumental like let's have people watch it but nobody's gonna be able to watch it that early so that was kind of strange so that'll get changed for next year uh shouldn't be anything that's i mean i would assume it gets changed maybe they'll just keep it but whatever whatever they end up doing won't impact fantasy all that much but the things that will um which i think were things that people kind of discussed even entering into this week was okay. The teams that make it, they have players obviously playing on days that nobody else is playing. So it brings a little bit more value to guys that may not be regularly rostered in standard leagues, but because there's only two games, having that extra games played advantage is ends up being pretty huge um, in the industry pickup league. Um, just keeping up with the transactions in there. It's kind of interesting to see like the amount of uh, fab that's spent on guys just because they're the only ones playing that day. Like for example, Mitch Casey spent 15 fab on Jose Alvarado. 
uh, just because he was going to be playing Thursday night. Uh, Josh Lloyd spent 44 on Obi Toppin just because he was going to be playing uh, Thursday night. Najee Marshall, Alex Raclean spent 13 on him um, and also had previously spent 19 on Josh Okogi just because he was going to be playing on Tuesday night. Tuesday night they played the Lakers. So saving a little bit of fab to kind of help you win that week is not the worst idea. It could actually end up helping you out a lot. Uh, luckily, going against B-Dub this week in that, um, I, he didn't make too many moves, and none of them were – actually, looks like the moves that he made weren't for guys that played in the in-season tournament games. He picked up Jaden Ivey and Derek Jones Jr., both good pickups, but didn't get any sort of uh, games played advantage on me, which kind of helps because we'll see how it, it – because. Uh, how it goes going into the last day because this week ends on a Friday. I'm up five to four currently um, hoping to be able to hold on there, but it should be, should be a good one uh, depending on who's healthy. I think the only one uh, that may or may not play for him is Mark Williams and everybody is healthy for me. Finally, have Anthony Simons back. who's a guy that we'll probably discuss later um, as I'm getting attacked by the curtains behind me because I'm, not at home. I'm traveling, so this is why the lighting looks weird and why I'm getting attacked by curtains because it's a little windy. But um, overall, in-season tournament, great success uh, so far and excited to see who wins the championship. It's been, you know, obviously the players getting some extra money, especially guys that aren't making the big bucks. It's kind of cool to see for them. Um, but yeah, in-season tournament's great, I guess. The advice to kind of take away is less about drafting and more about picking up free agents. Cause like, yeah, sure, you're gonna draft players that are gonna potentially play in that because it gives you a but it, the advantage isn't massive enough for me to value a slightly worse player in fantasy that is on a better team and has a better chance of making it than a player that is better for fantasy, but is probably gonna play on the heavy day as opposed to the light day because they didn't make the end season tournament. Like one, it's one week. Not a big deal. Uh, two, just because it, it's less about, okay, all these guys are playing on Wednesday and Friday. Now my guys are only like, aren't going to play on Tuesday and Thursday. Like the advantage is from having more players play on Tuesday and Thursday. So for the teams that make the end season tournament, excuse me, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, um, they'll have a, a streaming boost that week. That's the main fantasy takeaway that might be different from, a regular week. Um, overall, just fun basketball. Not necessarily anything that is dramatically shaking the fantasy landscape, which is, I guess, not any different from what we expected. But um, the next thing that I want to go through, and again, as I said at the beginning, uh, just trying to get through the holidays, not get through because I'm not excited, but get through and for the sense of been busy and traveling a lot so hard to plan out episodes so january should be more organized right now it's shorter episodes that are just whatever i can come up with that week but i want to try something um called i guess call it real or fake real or fake that's the that's the segment um and talking about players numbers and whether they are legit gonna stick around or if it's something that isn't what it seems or if it's something that, yeah, great. They're doing well with that, but it's probably not going to stick. Um, and I went pretty in depth with one of them 
Um, and then if people like it, I'll continue to go in depth with others, but the other ones are just kind of like listed out and we'll talk about it because it's more fantasy value, which is easier to just talk through why things look the way they do. Um, but, um, this was one that I'd already kind of mentally been keeping an eye on. So it was fun to go through and look at numbers and look at film and dissect exactly why things look the way they do. And I think that's what I want to be able to do more of. Um, and half the reason that I'm only doing one of these is I didn't have much or as much time as I'd like to, to go through like five to 10 of these at a time and explain why. But this one was an easy one because I had already kind of had it on my radar. Um, Trey Young's averaging 1.5 steals per game this year. And I think that's something that's actually going to stick. It's Trey Young's reputation is that of a player that isn't very good defensively. A defensive liability, one of the worst defenders in the league, depending on how mean you want to be about it. Uh, or just honest, however honest you want to be about it. Um, this year, averaging a career high in steals, um, which obviously steals don't directly translate to how impactful a player is defensively, but they're a good indicator of them being a defensive disruptor, which is for a guy that is small, one-man offense, but a small player that even when he tries really hard on defense, which effort has also been an issue through his first five or so years, um, him trying doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get stops just because he's not built to mix, to get stops. So him providing effort, one, is huge, but two, getting steals and disrupting defensively, forcing turnovers helps him to make up for the plays where he's just outmatched. Um, so going through, I, I know last week I, when I was discussing DeAndre Ayton's steals, I went through, watched his steals. A lot of them like weren't him making plays. Like a lot of them were right place, right time, more so than the ones where he had active hands in pick and roll scenarios and was making plays. I felt kind of the opposite for Trey Young. Like there was certainly times where somebody else poked the ball loose. He was the one to grab it. And he got the steal, which, you know, great whatever, nice for fantasy, but not him really like doing anything other than having his head up and being active, which I don't know how much everybody has watched every single Trey Young play. Cause I feel like as a Hawks fan, even before I was doing anything fantasy, watching almost every Trey Young game, almost every Trey Young play, um, definitely times where he was just falling asleep on defense. And so seeing him not do that has been huge just for him individually um great to see that and if you were able to see the last two games they've played against the nets were both incredibly close uh one by two in overtime and then on wednesday of this week they lost by one but his late game defense in both uh games guarding mikhail bridges and like literally like last 10 seconds of the game on ball defense on bridges and being able to make plays and stay in front of him. Like a lot of times, one, either when he was off the ball, getting back cut and just not paying attention. It's like, dude, come on. Like the least you can do is not allow a back cut or like stick with somebody. And then on ball defense, a lot of times it was letting someone go by and trying to back tap it out and force a turnover. But he's moving his feet, he's staying in front, which is great. He was able to force a turnover in the game they won. Um, got a steal for that. Um and then a lot of his seals have also come from him intercepting passes. So 
one, he's playing better on ball defense. He's more active defensively and being active has allowed him to, you know, be in the right spot to just kind of move a few steps and intercept a bad pass. So he's just active. And that's kind of all you can ask for a guy that is six one. And I don't know his exact weight. I don't, I'm not calorie counting every NBA player, um, but a smaller player that's not going to get a ton of stops. So forcing turnovers is huge. Uh, makes him and DeJounte Murray kind of a lethal backcourt as far as both of them being able to get steals, force turnovers, get fast breaks. Helpful for a defense that has been bad. So if they don't necessarily have to get a stop every play, well, excuse me. Yes, that's the goal, but it's not like they're going to be relying on, okay, we need to get a stop here and we're just going to keep stopping these teams and that's how we're going to win. It's okay, we'll play defense and the more turnovers we can force, get some easy offense and outscore. So is it the ideal method for winning in the NBA? Maybe not, but it's kind of what's they've been trying to do and what's it's what's worked for fantasy. Another thing is he's averaging 2.8 deflections per game. And just for a reference, Jalen Suggs is averaging 2.9, Marcus Smart's averaging three, and a tie for the lead league for the league leaders at 3.6 is SGA Jokic and Donovan Mitchell. So up there getting some of the most deflections in the league, which again, just him being active defensively is such a huge step for him. Uh, his defensive EPM is significantly better than it has been in the past. I know I've seen that pulled up a few times on Twitter. So not saying Trey Young, lockdown defender, saying Trey Young playing defense at a competent NBA level. That's about all you can ask for a player that when he's hitting shots, obviously he wasn't at the beginning of the season. He is starting to now. When he's hitting shots, he's mm, top five offensive player in the league by himself. I think pretty safely top 10. Pretty safely top 10, maybe top five, but probably like as far as one man offense that can, now that I'm thinking through names, I'm trying not to be biased and say maybe I do need to just say top 10. But as far as a guy, I mean, he's made the Hawks offense one of the best in the league, despite not a lot of other offensive players in the league or on their team, not a lot of elite offensive players on the team that he has played with throughout his career, but the offense has always been good. So I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. Not as, Oh, one-on-one check up the top of the key. Trey young is one of the five best on ball. Like that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying as far as his ability to get his own shot score, get to the free throw line, and despite some questionable methods at times um, and find other players for easy buckets and getting assists one of the best offensive players in the league. I think that's a pretty unbiased way for me to say that, but yeah, overall, like I don't see a reason why the one and a half steals per game won't stick. He's had a steal in every game except two, um, which is just huge for him to be able to make an impact defensively. It also helps out with his fantasy value um, for him to be getting that many steals. I, th- I mean, there's been more steals per game this year. I think SGA is leading the league at like 2.7, um, but last year, I think OG Ananobi led it with 1.9. So Trey Young would have been among the league leaders last year. I think he still is this year, but he would have been closer to the league lead last year. So good for his fantasy value because when he wasn't hitting shots and his field goal percentage was even lower than we kind of expected, he was still able to put up some numbers and get some easy buckets out of it. So, um, yeah, I think that's something that's going to stick. Um, so the rest of these aren't quite as in-depth as far as numbers and film, but
but they should be kind of easy to go through, talk about, be fairly obvious. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich has played two games uh, since he returned, or since, has played two games this season after missing the first bit due to injury. Um, just season long, averaging 22 points, three boards, four and a half assists, two steals, uh, shooting 50% from the field, three and a half threes. Um, going through that, the steals and assists would be career highs for him by a good bit. Um, and because his previous career high for steals was 0.9, so nowhere near two. His previous career high for assists was last year at 2.6, nowhere near 4.5. Previous career high for threes was three, which he did a few years ago with the Jazz, so not quite three and a half. 22 points, he averaged 21.6 last year. Um, but looking at Basketball Monster, he is 10th in the league per game value. Now, obviously, I don't think this one is a ridiculous statement. It's probably one that anyone would look at and say, well, duh, that's not going to stick. But just pointing it out, you look at the numbers, it says top 10 fantasy player. And the steals aren't going to stick. The assists aren't going to stick. The points and threes probably will. Uh, he's not going to shoot 50% from the field. He never has in his career. If he does, great. That'll be huge um, for his value. But a lot of it is just going to come from the points and threes. But if you're able to play in a league where somebody takes fantasy value at face value and says, huh, it's been two games, but he's a top 10 player. Like maybe he'll at least, he should be at least top 50 for this year. He's the only player on the player on the Pistons. Everybody else stinks. Well, not everybody else, but a lot of other players. And there's no reason for him to not put up numbers. Cool. Sell high. Go ahead. Sell high. I mean, he's a guy that you, that if it was sitting on your waiver wire, please pick him up. If you have him and are able to sell high, go for it. Seriously doubt anybody's going to take him as a top 10 guy, but heck, I mean, the that's what the numbers are saying. And I think it's pretty easy to look at the numbers and say, small sample size, not going to take that seriously. So cool. Just glad you already knew that then. Um, last three games. Well, actually we'll say last two games for Orlando Robinson, because if you look at basketball monster, uh, that's the way it lays it out over the past week, played two games, the averaging 15 and a half points, eight and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, 1.5 steals, two threes, shooting 60% from the floor, playing 31.3 minutes per game. Obviously that is because Bam Adebayo is out. Um, and to, I think like Orlando Robinson is going to continue to start as long as Bam is out. And there's not really a clear timeline for as far as Bam will return. Like it, it might be, like he's not playing Friday. He may be back Monday if they play Monday. I don't know their exact schedule. Um, so whenever their next game is, he could be back. And great, one more game of Orlando Robinson. But if Bam is out again, like, goodness, pick up Orlando Robinson. He's playing phenomenal. And there's the reason that those numbers are what they are is because of the opportunity. Like he's a talented player. He's the second best center behind Bam. Uh, the Thomas, Thomas Bryant thing isn't going to come back. Like Orlando Robinson is the backup center and he's the fill in when Bam misses time or misses a game here and there. That's about it. Um, but for dynasty, that's great because he's a guy that I think has been kind of stashed the past two years. Cause this is year two for him um, has played well, has had some good summer league games. Uh, so it's kind of a guy that you say, maybe the next undrafted success story for Miami um, could happen. I mean, doubt that he, 
ever starts over Bam or gets to the point where they're moving off Bam for him. Like it's not like that, but it's a guy that could have a couple solid years in Miami and as a backup and then end up earning a contract elsewhere and providing really good fantasy value. So a guy to keep an eye on in stash and dynasty leagues and a guy to stream in redraft leagues um, until Bam is back in the lineup. Um, a few of the Wizards guys have actually been playing pretty well, specifically really in that game against the 76ers on Wednesday. Um, Jordan Poole had 23 points, one rebound, two assists, one steal, three, three, shot 10 of 16. Tyus Jones had 20 points, shot eight of 11, three boards, eight assists, one steal, two blocks. Um, Daniel Gafford in 23 minutes because he fouled out 18 points, six boards, four assists, a steal, and two blocks. I mean, one, I think it kind of shows that the Wizards kind of like, not that anybody didn't know this, but really are not good. Like they got the best game of the season for most of their players. And obviously Joel Embiid scoring 50 impacted that, but they weren't able to still get a win. Um, But is this a sign of hope for some of these guys? Just double checking this, but this is the first time Jordan Poole shot over 50% from the floor in a game uh, in over a month. And actually the last time that he did it was also against the 76ers. And the only other time he did it was against the heat, which was the game before. So this is the third time this season that Jordan Poole scored or excuse me, shot over 50% from the field. So that's a positive, even if it doesn't seem like a big deal, it's a positive for him. Can he keep that up? I wouldn't bank on it, but hopefully he can because we saw what he did with Golden State, even though it wasn't always the most efficient. Um, we've seen what he do- has done with Washington, and it has been just I- – I couldn't have predicted that. I would have thought that it would have been, oh, sure, there's some bad plays, and it's funny, but like they kind of stink, so who really cares? Not like as bad as he is and the bad, silly plays um, at times. So hopefully that's a sign of things to come. Tyus Jones and Daniel Gafford. Like I think Daniel Gafford's numbers have still been fine. Like this wasn't an outlandishly good performance for him, but it was still good to see him do that against Joel Embiid, uh, even if he did foul out. But specifically, Tyus Jones and Jordan Poole. Um, is that something that we're going to continue to see from them? Do we know? I I wouldn't bank on either of them continuing to play as well as they did in that game. I think Jordan Poole will be better than he has been but i think i've been kind of saying that all season as as like a it can't get worse than what it has been so far like it it has to get better could we see more games like this from him maybe i think that's kind of the positive way to look at it not as finally he played a good game but it's probably the only one we're going to get same thing with tyus jones it's just been less notable because i think the expectations generally for him were lower but the fantasy community was obviously hoping for him to do what he kind of did when he started in place of John Morant, that hasn't been the case at all. Um, I think before I'm willing to say, yes, both of these guys are going to keep this up and continue to play really well after a really good game. Um, I need to see it a couple more times for me to feel more confident in both those guys who I have, or I think I may have finally cut Tyus Jones in a league that in the league that I had him, but 
guys that I felt confident in heading into the season. I thought it was going to be a good situation for fantasy, even if it wasn't good for winning. Um, that hasn't been the case. It's just been bad overall. Um, hopefully this will, I'm, I'm going to always try and stay as positive as I can um, and say that I'm hoping that these players play better. Blanket statement across 30 teams. Um, I'm not super confident that this is finally we're seeing what we expected out of them. Here it comes the next few weeks. Everybody's going to get put on notice by Jordan Poole and Tyus Jones taking over fantasy basketball. No, I'm not banking on that. If I'm wrong, cool. I really need Jordan Poole's help in industry pickup. I'm not banking on it, though. Um, the next one, Anthony Simons uh, was finally able to play again. Uh, has played, I think, yeah, just played the one game against the Warriors. He's playing again tonight. That's what it is. So first game back, uh, 28 points, one rebound, four assists, six threes. Shot 27 times, made 37% of them which isn't ideal. It's just not, but it's good. It's a good start for him. It's good for him to be back out there. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is questionable. So we'll see if he plays. Um, if he doesn't, Anthony Simons is probably just going to be the point guard, which is great. His best days in fantasy were when Damian Lillard was out and he was able to be the point guard and he was getting like 25 points, five threes and six assists pretty consistently. Um, would be great to see him do that again. Hard to do that when Malcolm Brogdon is uh, also playing point guard and Scoot Henderson's having to get his minutes. So we'll kind of see what this rotation looks like. I think with Jeremy Grant and DeAndre Ayton also out, it's a really good opportunity for him to just kind of take over offensively and have a big night. Um, they play Dallas, um, which, I mean, Dallas just blew the – uh, jazz out of the water in their last game. So we'll see what that looks like. We'll see if uh, another guy that we're going to talk about here in a second uh, is able to do anything to kind of slow Anthony Simons down at all. Um, but I'm excited that he's back. I think that him putting up big numbers is something that we should expect for the rest of the season. Um, and it was annoying to have him out for over a month, but hopefully he can stay healthy. He's a really good fantasy player when he gets the opportunity to be. And I think this is a great chance for him too, but Ma Malcolm Brogdon is questionable. So I wouldn't imagine he's out long, which kind of stinks. So this may be like a one-off big Anthony Simons game, uh, but he'll still be really good after that. But this just might be the best opportunity for him to have a really big performance with both his scoring and his assists. Uh, the next one is Trey Mann. Um, kind of probably fell off the radar for most people that are playing fantasy. Um, he had a 26-point game in the G League, got rewarded with some minutes, ended up playing 24 minutes off the bench uh, in their loss to Houston. Josh Giddy only played 25 as a starter. Uh, Trey Mann had 10 points, three boards, four assists, two steals, hit two threes. Uh, they were a plus seven in his minutes, um, which... You know, it's a good thing considering all the starters were a negative plus minus and almost all the bench players were positive. Um, yet it, it's just weird lineups and rotations um, because that didn't necessarily line up directly with Houston having a positive plus minus for their starters and negative for their bench. Like it was mostly positive all around for them. So um, 
I think it's something to keep an eye on as like Trey man is somebody to keep an eye on over these next few games. Like, was this like a, Oh, you had a good game in the G league. Like, let's get you some minutes and see how you do. Oh, you played well. Cool. Okay. Now we know you can play well. Like that's about it. Or is this something where he's earned minutes um, in a situation with a uh, iffy point guard situation? Like Josh Giddy has not been producing this year for fantasy basketball. Um, whether the Thunder uh, feel comfortable sticking with him or not as their starting point guard, I don't imagine that his point like his starting job isn't necessarily in question. I don't think. I don't imagine that they would bench him if it happens then I think Kaysen Wallace is probably the next guy that would slide into the starting lineup. I don't think it would be um, Trey Mann, but he is another guy that provides some instant offense, can, I think, play 20 minutes per game off the bench and be productive for them. Now, Lou Dort only played 15 minutes in that game. Was uh, Trey Mann only sliding in because of that? Would he have only played about 15 minutes per game? But We'll see. I think that's something to keep an eye on. I don't think he's a guy to target in standard redraft leagues, but I think in dynasty leagues with a deeper roster, he's a guy that you know has some upsides to score. Maybe doesn't have a great fantasy game. Um, I don't think he always is going to shoot 50% from the floor like he did. Um, but got some assists, got some steals, flashed some good things. You know, in 30-team 30 t- 30 dynasty leagues or 30-team redraft leagues, you're always looking for – anybody that can contribute a couple numbers here and there and has the upside to go off. So I got to keep on your radar. And this other guy is probably also just another guy to keep on your radar, which is the, the aforementioned player that will be trying to slow down. Anthony Simons is Dante Exum. Uh, Adam King and I's King. Uh, the guy that has been the focus of, or not focus, but, uh, a topic on every show we've done. We've tried to mention him at least once. Um, and now he's starting. Grant Williams was out for the last game and is out again on Friday. Dante Exum is starting. Um, he didn't play a ton of minutes in that game because they won by 50 and were a plus 40 in his minutes and his revenge game against the team that drafted him. But 26 minutes, had five points, six boards, seven assists, two steals, and a three shot, two of nine shooting or like a lack of shooting production was kind of always an issue for him. Um, when he was uh, first drafted and a young guy in the league, um, part of the reason that he went overseas for a couple of years was his lack of shooting. He had shown a little bit of a better shot, but I don't think it's something that, oh, okay, great. Now we can get four or five threes a game from him when he's starting. Don't think that's the case, uh, but competent floor spacer knocked down a three, but really it's the, rebounds, assists, steals that he can kind of provide. Um, he's got it. another start under his belt uh, with, in place of Grant Williams. I imagine that sticks Friday night. Hopefully he can be part of the rotation, but I kind of doubt it that when everybody's healthy because Josh Green has also been out. Um, I'm pretty sure they have somebody else that is out as well. And I'm going to, as I'm talking about this, look at the injury report so that I can confirm that. Um, nope. Just Josh Green. I think Josh Green would be starting if it wasn't like if Grant Williams is out, Josh Green is active. It would be him, not Exum. But still cool to see uh, him getting a chance to start. Hopefully, uh, he can have another pretty solid game um, and continue to be part of the rotation. But I don't think he's worth 
streaming and standard leagues, uh, which would be like a 12 team league points or category. Um, but in a 30 team league, let's keep an eye on him. If anything, just for the hype, uh, both Kingy and I would love it. If Dante Exum was on your roster, like it would just, it would mean the world to us. Even if it, doesn't necessarily make sense for fantasy basketball. It would bring a smile to my face. And, you know, I don't have any issues with that. Um, but those are the guys that I wanted to discuss. Um, hopefully going to in the, the future, probably, not just starting next year, but include more film and advanced stats that aren't directly correlated to, like, for example, including deflections per game for Trey Young as opposed to just his steals per game. Like things like that that if a player maybe gets multiple deflections but just hasn't gotten steals, okay, well maybe the steals are coming. Or if they're getting a bunch of steals but not a bunch of deflections, like okay, like maybe when they get deflections they're just getting lucky and some of them are bouncing the right way and these steals might not stick. So things like that as well as the film as far as, oh, is this player really active in the passing lanes? Is this this player forcing players to turn the ball over with his defense and just throw it away? Is this player poking the ball loose on ball handlers? Is this player just right place, right time, getting lucky a bunch, and this isn't going to stick? Hopefully it's more than just – I mean, I plan for it to be more than just steals. Uh, those are just – have been two things that uh, have been surprising numbers early on from DeAndre Ayton steals and Trey Young steals and things that are, it's a pretty volatile stat. So it's easy to say, Hey, this is going to stick or this isn't going to stick just by looking at kind of what's happening. Um, but also looking at other ways that players are developing um, with their film. Like, are they adding new things to their game uh, as far as ways to score? Are they getting smarter with making extra passes? What's making uh, certain players have really good seasons like, started trying to look at uh, some Tyrese Halliburton numbers as far as like how he operates in the pick and roll and different percentages like that and seeing what he's doing more effectively than last year. So things like that, that I'm hoping to dive into more uh, starting in January uh, next couple of weeks, maybe just more Q and A's and um, general thoughts and such. But yeah, like I said, shorter episode. Um, hope it was still filled with good information and just as a reminder, follow at FBI Basketball on Twitter or X. Uh, you can follow me at NoRubin22 if you have other fantasy-related questions or you need an opinion on a potential trade or a potential pickup. As always, you can just tweet at me at NoRubin22. Um, generally, I'm able to get to those. Uh, sometimes I'm not. I apologize if I'm not. Um, including league type, league scoring format, any other added context that would impact the trade would help me uh, answer the question the best that I can. Um, and then like, rate, review, comment on this episode, whether you're getting on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, something else, any way for you to share it or review it or just like it helps us out a ton. Um, but like I said, that's going to do it for this episode. And thanks for listening. You just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. And for more information about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com.